we delve uh, once again into the book of James, we pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom. We pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged and that we would be built up in our faith. We pray also, Lord, that you will teach us how to live out our daily walk, how to behave, how to speak to each other, the things that we should be doing, the way that we should be serving you. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the grace and life that we receive from it and we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will illuminate it to our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm sure that's a saying that we all know well, and it's a saying that we hear children uh, saying in the playground, uh, and uh, they're actually saying it because they are being hurt by words. You see, it's an untrue statement, isn't it? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that sticks and stones will hurt, but words also hurt, and they can hurt us very greatly. In fact, bullying is mostly carried out by words, and words and bullying can cause utter misery to children in the playground, Bullying, words can cause utter misery to adults in the workplace. And so powerful are words that we find now that there is bullying happening on social media, even to the point where sometimes people who are on the receiving end uh, end up taking their life because they're so upset by it. Words are so powerful that uh, especially negative words can be so powerful, they can be so hurtful, that if, if today you heard three or four kind things said to you and just one person criticises you, what are you going to take home with you today? Are you going to remember the three or four kind things that were said or are you going to take home the one negative criticism that you received? You see, so often we leave behind the good and we take that one thing and we, we take it home, we'll mull over it all of today, we might mull over it all of the week, it might eat away at us. We tend to we respond to those negative words uh, that are spoken. And that's what James here is getting at in this text that we're reading today. So in verse 19 we read, My dear brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is so practical in his book. He could have put this in really spiritual terms. He, he could have said, oh, we need to look at how we act because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Or he could have said something like, be holy because God is holy. That would have sounded so spiritual, wouldn't it? 
that James is just so practical. So basically what he says is, hey, listen up, folks. We need to consider how we speak to one another. He gets out of the spiritual speak and he just gets right down to how we are to behave, to how we're meant to, to speak, to how we're meant to treat each other. Words have great power to both wound and to heal. But as I've been sharing, because of the sin nature in us and because of our brokenness, we often tend to take the negative words more than the, than the healing words. So let us as believers make sure that the words that come out of our mouth to each other are words of healing. They're positive words. They're words to build each other up and to encourage each other. When we talk too much and listen too little, we communicate to others that we think our ideas are much more important than their ideas. When we uh, talk too much and listen too little, we communicate to the person we're speaking to that our life is more important than your life. James wisely advises us to reverse this process. He's basically saying keep track of how much you talk and how much you listen. When people talk with you, do they feel that their viewpoints and ideas are valued? When people speak to us, do they feel like we are valuing their life? There's a, a fellow I talk to out in the bush when I'm on, you know, what we call patrol. And uh, he's, he's a lovely fellow, but he speaks very slowly. He's very considered in everything that he says. And uh, everything all, all, all comes out in full sentences. And I found myself uh, jumping ahead. So he'd be saying a sentence and I'd be finishing it off for him. Or, or he'd, be, he'd be still going on one sentence and I've already got the whole thought and then I, I'm butting in already telling him, you know, the, the, the follow-on thoughts and so on. And I realised that that was really, really rude and I just wasn't valuing him and, and I think he was a bit put out. So I, I taught myself that I have to respect him and I have to listen to what he's saying um, have you seen those movies uh, where they have the old medieval armies, you know, with the swords and the bows and the arrows, and you have the two opposing uh, armies lined up, and then it's usually the baddies. They start to advance. And then you have the good army, and you have the valiant hero, you know, who's the commander, and you have the good army, they're there with their bows and arrows. And, and, the, and the good uh, commander, because they're always better, um, he's, he's telling his soldiers, have you heard this? He goes, hold, hold, hold. And they've got these archers there and they're really scared because this army's advancing, but they've got to just shoot at the right time. Hold, he goes, hold. Well, that's what I had to actually teach myself to do with this fellow. <laughs> so, so when he's talking, I'm actually telling myself, hold, hold, you know, just wait, let him talk. But, but it's all out of um, respect because we need to value the person that we are talking to. 
You see, James here isn't being all spiritual, is he? And talking in spiritual language. He's just saying, hey, Christians, beloved brothers and sisters, let's watch how we treat other people. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, One commentary I was reading in that noted the ancients have some sayings on this subject which are well worthy of our attention. Men have two ears and but one tongue that they should hear more than they speak. I think we uh, repeat that in modern times as well. And then another saying, an ancient saying, the ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep it within proper bounds. So a bit of ancient wisdom there. It's interesting too that many Bible commentators, as they're commenting on this text, they also link it to gossip. Because what happens with gossip, often we are very quick to speak and and, and we can be slow to listen. Often we just go and and, and speak and and repeat things, but we're not really uh, all that sure or certain about what we're actually repeating. Um, one day I met, uh, this is going back a long, long way ago, uh, I met a lady uh, in the CBD, uh, a Christian lady from another church who, who I'd known from before, and after we ex- uh, exchanged pleasantries uh, for a minute or two, uh, the lady all of a sudden said to me, she said, Pastor? And then when she said that, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. When, when somebody says that to you, you know you're in trouble. And then she started to get stuck into me about this Hindu speaker that I had had at the church teaching all of our people about how to follow the Hindu religion. And and I'm just sitting there listening to all of this. And what had happened, she'd heard some news and got it all wrong. I'd hate to think what kind of news she heard. But the truth of it was that I had a, a guest pastor at the church, a Christian, uh, who was very familiar with uh, Hindu and, and, and Buddhist religions and so on, who lectured Bible college students in it. And they were there, of course, explaining to us how some of these other religions think. But you see, this lady got stuck into me because she got the message all wrong. And the problem with gossip is that often we, we are slow to listen and we're too quick to speak. And there's a pastor, an old pastor that, that uh, gave advice uh, that I really love, and I've remembered it for many years. He said this, if you are not part of the problem or part of the solution, don't talk about it. And I thought, wow, what wisdom. Because you see, if we're not involved in the situation, and if we're not called upon to be part of the solution, basically it's none of our business And it's better if we don't even talk about it. Because too often we're we're chattering, chattering, chattering about things to do with other people. It's got nothing to do with us at all. And we need to be so careful because often we're talking and we really don't know all of the facts. If we're not a part of it, we don't know uh, exactly what is going on. 
Verse 19 through to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. These verses speak of anger that erupts when our ego is bruised. You know, when I am hurt. You know, my opinions are not being heard. And we should not become angry when we fail to win an argument or when we feel offended or neglected because that is selfish anger and it never helps anybody. That's why James calls it human anger. It's about us. We, we get angry because we have been hurt. We have been offended. And what we need to do when we have been hurt or when things maybe don't seem to be going our way, we need to be slow to anger and we need to stop and think and we need to pray because otherwise we may regret our response. Many years ago, when I was a teenager, um, I was at home alone one night and I was just really happy to be there. I had the hold of the one telly that we had in the house uh, back in those days and, uh, and, and I thought, Ripper, I've got it and I'm watching what I want. And then my older sister came home unexpectedly and I was really annoyed that she had come home. How selfish is that? What a brat I was. Um, and, uh, and, and I let her know that I was unhappy that she was home and I was really annoyed and she went off to the bedroom. I found out later on that she had had a really bad experience that night and she went to bed and she cried herself to sleep. And if I had been quicker to listen, if I had just said to her, sister, how are you? Um, and, and, and I'd listened to her story, I could have helped her that night. But I was slow to, to listen and quick to speak. And do you know I regret doing that now and it's about 40 years later on. If we are slow to listen and quick to speak, we might do things that we might regret for many years to come. And often you can't take those things back. The one grace that we have is the Lord forgives us. I'm normally very careful nowadays with uh, what I write uh, when I send emails. But a couple of years ago, um, something happened to one of my daughters at school and I wrote an email to a teacher. And normally I check things out and double-check them and triply-check them and I write the email over and over and I go through it and I'm careful. But this time I got hot under the collar and I sent off this email rashly and I got it wrong. And I bitterly regret having done that because often you can't get those things back. James is saying there, it's his good, godly wisdom, be quick to listen, 
and to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And in verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James advises us to get rid of all that is wrong in our lives and humbly accept the salvation message we have received because it alone can save us. And what happens when we humbly accept the salvation message into our life? It brings a serenity into our life. It brings a strength and a meekness. And remember we talk about Jesus and and, and we say he's meek and mild uh, and, and we say meekness is not weakness. It isn't. Meekness is actually strength because Jesus was so at peace in himself and with God that, that he, he could be strong. He could, um, anything he spoke about was well considered and it was spoken out in, in a godly way. And, and that happens to us when salvation comes into our life, when we humbly accept the grace and mercy into our life. It changes us and it transforms us and we don't need to become angry anymore when we are offended because our identity is in Christ. Our peace is in Jesus and our security is in Jesus. I'm often amazed at the road rage that I see. I'm on the road a lot and I'm, I'm just staggered at how quickly people will jump onto the horn or, or they'll yell abuse at somebody or make rude signals. And I've seen people, you know, yelling at each other and cars will, will be side by side with people yelling and pedestrians and, and drivers yelling and all of that. And, and I just think people are so quick to become angry instead of being gracious on the road and courteous and even to realise that, hey, mistakes happen, but people are just so quick uh, to, to get into that rage. And I wonder how angry people must be that they're driving along in the car and one little thing happens and suddenly this anger just erupts from their life. As believers, our speech, our response should be loving and caring. It should be kind. We should be gentle and we should be well considered before we open our mouth. And Jesus is our role model. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this. To this you were called. Note that to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And friends, that's what we should do in our life. Instead of raging and, 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 and hitting back and, and, and becoming angry, we need to entrust ourselves into the hands of our Heavenly Father. 
We might say, though, but hang on a minute, what about righteous anger? Surely righteous anger is all right. And righteous anger occurs when there is injustice and there's sin. And, uh, and, and, you know, perhaps there are times, there are those times when we should become angry because other people are being hurt, other people are being treated unfairly or unjustly or because the name of God is being maligned. So there are times when, yes, it's right that we are angry, but you see, it's not human anger that James is talking about. This is a righteous anger. It's not about us being upset about ourselves. It's being upset for other people or upset about uh, God. But even then, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and weigh up God's perspective that we may respond righteously. When there is righteous anger, God doesn't want an angry tirade coming from us. He rather would want us to help the person who perhaps is being wrong. Or he might want us to do good in some way or to speak words of life or to speak about Jesus. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James is just saying, you know, if you look in a mirror and then you walk away and you forget what you look like, it's the same as reading the Bible, but then we walk away from the Bible and we forget what is in it. It's important to listen to what God's word says, but it is much more important to obey it and do what God's word says. And we can measure the effectiveness of our personal Bible study through the way that it affects our behaviour and our attitudes. If we're studying the Bible every day for ourselves, if we're reading it, but it's not affecting our life, if it's not affecting our behaviour, if it never corrects us, if it never actually influences us for that day or that week, perhaps we're just reading it, we're ticking off the devotion table, but we're not actually doing God's word. You can read God's word as an exercise, thinking that's what we ought to do, but it's of little use unless we're actually obeying the word and doing what it says. The word should be affecting our behaviour. When we come on a Sunday and we worship together and we partake of the Lord's Supper and we listen to the word, it should be affecting the way that we are living out our life. I was in the church once and it wasn't a Presbyterian church and I heard two ladies, one after another, supposedly, and I say supposedly, prophesying the oracles of God, which they were allowed to do in that church setting. 
But then after the service, where they were prophesying all these supposed good things that had come from the mouth of God, I heard those same two ladies in the church kitchen mercilessly and maliciously gossiping about some of the other ladies in the church. And I thought, how can this be? How can that go together? How can you supposedly be one minute prophesying the oracles of God and the next minute viciously attacking other people? It doesn't go together. And it's the same when we read the Bible. If we read the Bible and then we go out and we gossip and we lie and we're rude and we're nasty and we're selfish and self-centred, it doesn't go together. We need to be reading the word and obeying it and doing what it says and then it should be having a real impact upon our life. I'm not suggesting for one minute that we're all just suddenly going to be perfect. We won't but it will affect our behaviour. Our trajectory should be one that we're growing in the Lord. Our character should be growing up closer and and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So James uses the imagery of riding a horse you know, with the reins that, that you pull up the horse. Um, a long time ago, we owned a couple of horses, uh, Catherine, my wife and I, and um, one of the horses, when you're just riding along, it used to put its head right down and kick up its back legs and fuck you off. And I received that several times. And in the end, I was petrified to ride that silly horse, but then I was taught, no, when you ride, hold your reins, you know, let, let, the, let the horse walk, but have your reins really tight and then if it starts to put its head back, you pull on the reins and you stop it putting its head down and it won't be able to buck. And you know what? It worked. And I was actually ride without that horse bucking me off anymore. James is saying that about our words. He's saying keep a tight rein on your words so that there we are with the reins and, and we're there talking to somebody, and before we let go with words that we shouldn't say, whoa, we rein in. We, we hold in our words. Whoa, Nettie. Better not to say what I'm thinking of saying. I, I knew this man uh, once, and he was a Christian man, he says, but he was so opinionated, and he just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about all his opinions about absolutely everything, and he was always absolutely right. But I saw him push people away. And, and, and I, I honestly think that God couldn't have told him anything because he would have been so busy telling God how to be God. He needed to keep a tight rein on his tongue But friends, we also perhaps need to keep a tight rein on our thoughts because it's our thoughts that drive our words, isn't it? So so before, you know, what's going on in here, before it gets from there to here and comes out things that shouldn't, we need to tighten the reins and we need to actually stop ourselves. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
I love the way that um, James summarizes our Christian walk, the outworking of our life, into two areas. Basically, he says, love and care for others and don't be contaminated by the world. So the first thing he talks about there is looking after the orphans and the widows. In the first century, orphans and widows had very little means of economic support. It wasn't Centrelink like we have it today. Unless a family member was willing to care for them, they were reduced by begging or, or reduced to begging or selling themselves as slaves or starving. And by caring for the widows and the orphans, the church put God's word into practice. And often, you know, we find ourselves saying things like, oh, I wonder what God wants me to do in my life. You know, what does God want me to do? And we seek out, we're searching, we're asking God, what does God want for my life? What does God want me to do? Well, maybe uh, God doesn't always answer because he already has in his word. Let's look around and it doesn't take very long to see needs and problems and burdens and people hurting and we look around and we identify them and we just go and help and do what we can. We can keep asking God, oh God, what should we do? What should we do? God's already told us what to do. And if we just get around helping people and caring and looking after the needy, if God's got greater things in store for us, he will show us. Often we're asking God what we should do because really we're just wanting God to assign to us great and wondrous things and it's all about us. If we stop thinking all about us and the great and wondrous things that we could achieve in our life, we just knuckle down and do what the word says, which is look around, see the need, see the hurt, and go and encourage people and help them and do something for them. And then the second point, he says to keep ourselves from letting the world corrupt us. And to do that, we need to commit ourselves to Christ's ethical and moral teaching, not the teaching or the opinions or thoughts of the world. We are not to adapt to the world's value system, which is based on money, on power and pleasure and an anti-God agenda, a rebellious agenda. True faith means nothing if we become contaminated with such values. Now, can I just briefly talk about what I mentioned there, this anti-God agenda? Basically, it's an agenda which says anything goes because either God doesn't exist or if he does exist, God is loving and God accepts everything in his love. The only problem with that is God is love, yes, but God is also a holy God and he is a God of justice and we are accountable to him. When the world says you can do whatever you like, we're not being accountable to our creator. And friends, accountability is a part of life. 
If you're in a family, you're accountable to your family members. If you work, you're accountable to your employer. If you're at school, you're accountable to the teachers. If you're at uni, you're accountable to the uni lecturers. If you're in a club, you are accountable to the people who run the club. Right at the moment, we have Wimbledon on TV. And we have the big three. Well, I think one of them's not playing, but two are at Wimbledon. And, and they're multimillionaires, own hundreds of millions. They're world famous. But put them on the tennis court, and who do they answer to? A lowly uh, chair umpire. Doesn't matter how great they are, how famous, how many mansions they own all around the world, but put them on the tennis court, and they are accountable. They do as they are told. It doesn't matter where you go in life, what you do, we are accountable. Why then does the world keep saying that in life in general, we're not accountable to anybody, we can do what we want when we are accountable to our creator? I just finished reading a book about a, a, a person who was in a near-death experience. They were in a coma for seven days and their brain was virtually dead for seven days and, and they shouldn't have come back to life. It was a miracle that they did. But, but I got to the end of the book. It wasn't a believer writing the book. And I got to the end of the book and basically the gist of it was that this person supposedly in their experience encountered the divine, you know, God, and that he's unconditionally loving and the whole message of the book at the end was that um, God or the divine or whoever he might be unconditionally loves everybody. Everybody is absolutely loved. And I'm thinking, right, okay, yes, God is love if we're talking about, you know, God, the real God. But the problem is in that book there is absolutely no accountability so basically it's sending the message, you can do whatever you please and God will just love you no matter what. And that's just crazy talk. That, that's anti-Bible. And, and that's what we're hearing so much in the world today. And don't fall prey to it and don't be fooled by it and don't think this talk that, oh, God's loving and he loves everybody, so it doesn't matter what we do, he'll just love everybody. Yes, God is love, and yes, God loves everybody, and yes, God sent Jesus, his son, to die for the world because he so loves the world. But God is holy, and God is just, and God is our creator, and he is boss, and we need to be accountable to him. How do we achieve these godly values? They are achieved by reading God's word and doing what it says. What are these godly values to care for people, to have kind, well-considered speech and to follow after God's values? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, help us every day to be people of your word, people who look intently into your word, people who, who dwell in it, who, who, who consider it, who pray over it, who treasure your word. And, Lord, help us, though, 
to be people who then take it to heart that it changes us and it conforms us to the likeness of Jesus that each day we would be growing more and more to be like him. Father, help us to be people who give life, people who speak life, people who speak the good news message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great gospel message that saves us and draws us to you, our loving God, but our holy God and our just God. Father, we humble ourselves before you and we receive and thank you for your merciful and gracious gift of salvation. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming around the Lord's table now and I'm going to ask if the elders will come out and stand with me, please. We've got uh, an absolutely wonderful uh, team of elders here in the church, men who I love and appreciate and highly uh, respect these men. Just a couple of things as we partake today. You'll notice that the chairs are all together now. Isn't that lovely to see that? Um, and uh, what we're going to do shortly, the elders are going to bring the uh, the, the juice, the, the cups, the, the bread out to each of us. It's all gluten-free, so you can feel free uh, to partake of it all. Um, and then if you hang on to the emblems till the end when everybody's received and we'll partake together. And now because the chairs are like that, when we're finished, if you just pop the, um, the cups under your chair and at the end, if you just take them and pop them in the bin, they're, they're all disposable. We'd appreciate that. Um, just three very short excerpts from uh, 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a real wake-up call, isn't it? We, we can't claim that we're without sin and that's the problem when the world says, Oh, you know, there's no accountability to, to, towards God. We're failing to uh, accept our sin before him. But if we do acknowledge our sin before God and we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. That's God's great promise to us. And the forgiveness comes to us through Jesus. So we also read in 1 John, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And why is that? Why does the forgiveness come through Jesus? Because we also read in 1 John, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world world. So through Jesus' death on our behalf, he pays the price for our sin and he reconciles us to God if we receive it by faith. We need to receive this free gift by faith. And today let us partake by faith the bread and the juice 
representing the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, if, if you come today and you're just not sure about this yet, that's fine. Don't feel that you need to partake today, but just take it as a real time of contemplation. Just think and, and ponder about what you've 